Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of Smart Guard and Pig Flow. To learn how Pig Flow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hog Hearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Roto, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about leadership. And I tell you what, this is going to be a little different than most of the things we typically focus on, but this is going to be well worth your time and maybe one of the most inspiring stories you will have ever heard. And so I'm excited to introduce John Paul Engel. How are you doing today, John? Great, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. We've had the opportunity to meet a while back at the University of Iowa. It's been quite a while. But I'd like for you to start off just by introducing yourself and what you do today. Sure. Um, Today, I help people all over the world start and grow businesses. I run these masterminds, which are like uh, miniature classes with with eight people in them. They're all people that are founding businesses, and I I guide them through the process. Um, And then I'm building my own technology business that's a little bit similar to Swine Tech, uh, but it's about protecting paper. So I have have an electronic device I created that protects paper and companies so that other people can't steal people's identities. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I have a I have a really uh, a really interesting background, particularly for anyone who feels like you know they just have too many obstacles to overcome. Uh, I was blessed to be thrown about the hardest group of obstacles that somebody could face uh, right off the bat. So to go all the way back. Uh, I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. Then it cut off my oxygen. So I had brain damage. Um, When I was given birth, um, I was addicted to drugs. So I was born with brain damage and addicted to drugs. Uh, My mother gave me up for adoption, so I didn't have a a family. Um, And then at that time, the state of Iowa deemed me unadoptable which meant that I wasn't going to a home with a mother and a father and brothers and sisters. I was going to go to an institution called Glenwood. Uh, and so I was slated to go to this institution for kids with disabilities. And a lot of those kids never made it out. Uh, fortunately, I came to a home uh, with a true leader. The first leader I encountered in my life was um, the woman who, who raised me and adopted me and made me her own son. Um, I came to their home. I was crying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They had no idea what was wrong with this kid. Uh, they had six of their own kids and I was just the fourth foster child for them to take in. And they, you know, they went through the trouble of finding out what was wrong with me. And, uh, they took me and kept me with them and, um, you know, went on to take care of a hundred other children. Uh, so I grew up in this 100? household full of 104 total children. Yeah. 
I was number wow. four. They did 104 kids. Uh, and, you know, my mom just believed in giving. You know, she believed that, you know, if you needed to do something, the resources would always be available. And she, she always told me, you know, if you have an opportunity to help somebody, help them, you'll always find the resources. Uh, you know, she just, she was a hustler. <laughs> so she found ways to make income. She had different uh, side businesses that she was doing in order to, to feed all these kids. And uh, it was pretty amazing to just see how she managed um, to just always find a way through any challenge. Um, and she taught me just, just four simple words, uh, four words that, that really enabled me to do everything that I do today. Uh, she taught me that I could do it. So she would always tell me, John, you can do it. And I remember that. Um, and it's, it was said to me so many times, you know, people talk about the power of mantras, but it really is true. This was a very powerful mantra to me. Um, whatever I faced, I just always thought back to those words and uh, kept going. And, you know, I eventually, uh, you know, went to college for free on a scholarship and, and ended up being a professor at a university. And, you know, nobody would have thought of that from a kid who had brain damage and was addicted to drugs at birth, right? So it just shows that we all have, you know, multiple, multiple chapters in our life and change is possible if you're if you're willing to believe in yourself. And then you even went on to work with city and progressive and really transformed how massive businesses operated on the internet. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I was very lucky to, um, to, you know, it was funny because sometimes in scarcity becomes luck. So when I went to the University of Iowa, I spent all the money that I had saved from, you know, working in the field, baling hay and working in kitchens, washing dishes and all the little jobs I did on my way to uh, college. When I went to college, I spent all that money in the first semester. <laughs> so my parents didn't have any money because they had taken care of all these kids. So the only way for me to finish college was uh, to get a job. Right. So I got a job. And I got to work with one of the uh, top pollsters in the world uh, at a very young age, at, at 18. I remember one of the first things that I got to do, which was really cool, was um, I had to interview Dr. J. Really? So, yeah, Julius Irving. I was 18 years old, and I was interviewing Julius Irving. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, and it taught me that I could call anybody, like, like you literally, like you can literally call anybody if you have a good reason to call them. So Julius Irving was the head of the NBA, uh, basketball players association at the time. And we were doing a, a study of the leaders leadership of, uh, the AFL, AFL CIO. And so I got to talk to Julius Irving. Um, and then, you know, I did a good, every day I showed up. I had a good attitude, you know, I, I always greeted everybody, I always did the best I could. I always looked to do like 15% more than what's ever expected of me. That, that was kind of the job security that I was taught as a young person was like, you know, if you always do more, people will always want to keep you around. Um, and so that got me noticed and I was promoted and uh, became a research assistant and a 
supervisor. And then from those, those skills, I was later able to help uh, Citibank. Um, it was the early days of PC banking. Uh, they had just come out with uh, a product called Business Access for Small Businesses. And they didn't know who to go after, you know, so they came to us and they said, you know, we want to find the early adopters of PC banking, you know, lawyers and accountants. And I and I looked at them and I said, have you ever met a lawyer or an accountant? These are not people that are cutting edge technologists, <laughs> typically, right? Like, this is, this is not a good, this is not a good segmentation. Uh, and so what we actually ended up doing was using some of the mathematical modeling I had learned uh, as a student at the University of Iowa and applied that in a different circumstance. So we took something that I learned, you know, over here doing, um, you know, forecasting elections and we applied that to finding the early adopters of PC banking. I thought if I can figure out if somebody's Democrat or Republican looking at variables, why can I use variables to figure out whether they would adopt PC banking or not, right? Um, and then we built another model for profitability because who do you want to go after first? You want to go after the most profitable customers, right? And so we segmented the market on the basis of profitability and likelihood to adopt. And then we used different uh, marketing techniques to reach different customers, depending on, you know, if it was somebody who was, uh, you know, not very likely to adopt, but they, were really profitable, I would send somebody to their office and, and literally set it up for them. Um, if it was somebody who was very likely to adopt and profitable, I would send them a disc. Um, if I it was somebody that wasn't likely to adopt um, and wasn't very profitable, well, I would ignore those guys. <laughs> so, you know, like we figured out the way to approach and, and it became, uh, the most successful marketing project at Citibank at the time. Uh, and we were um, asked to speak to the presidents of Citibank. I think I was 26 years old at the time uh, that I did that. And then after that, I had an opportunity to go to work for uh, Progressive Insurance. And so I was at Progressive Insurance and I was working for a guy who always taught me that if you want to lead an extraordinary life, you first have to have extraordinary expectations. So he's always telling me to think of myself as a business. Like no matter what I did, I needed to think of myself as a business. I needed to find multiple streams of revenue. I needed to look for ways that I could get a competitive advantage versus other, other, other people. And I, I really admired this guy and he helped me a great deal. Um, and then one day he came down to the office and he asked called me into his, to his office and i was it was a friday and i was like oh am i gonna have to work the weekend you know <laughs> like so i go into his office and uh he says john peter won't let us sell insurance on the internet now peter was the was the founder of progressive insurance and the reason that he wouldn't let them sell insurance on the internet was um he was afraid that sometimes people would go to the website and it wouldn't be available, right? So that 404 error page not found. Uh, this was more prevalent in the old days, in the, in the 90s. Uh, and he was afraid of that. So he didn't want to have a channel where people would go and the store would not be available, right? Uh, and so I had this background in programming and I thought, oh, why don't we just ping the machine? And 
pinging is a command that you would say, like I would say ping and then the I, the uh, address of the computer. And if it was working correctly, it would come back and say, I'm alive. <laughs> uh, and so that way you could tell whether the computer was working correctly. Uh, and my boss said, well, you can't ping the machine because it's on a different network than ours. And I'm like, okay. So I leave that day kind of dejected thinking, you know, this really cool project that I was going to be a part of wasn't going to happen. Um, I had to drive from Cleveland to Chicago to see my girlfriend, otherwise she was going to break up with me. So <laughs> I was walking through the bookstore. And in those days, um, we didn't have podcasts. We had books on tape. So I was walking towards the section to buy a book on tape. And I noticed a, uh, a book out of, the, out of the corner of my eye. And this is one of those strange things, Matthew, that just seems to happen to me. When I need the answer to something, the freaking answer appears. So <laughs> this book is in the computer science section of the bookstore, and it says spiders and bots. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, like, why, why would a book on spiders be in the computer science section of a bookstore? You know, that, that, that curiosity, right? Like, yeah, it's this, like, what the heck is this doing here? Exactly. It's like, this is totally out of place. I got I to gotta take a look at it. So I went over there and I looked at it. And it's those anomalies where you really have opportunities. So I pull this book out and I look at it. And I realized that everything I need to write a, a ping that would work in our situation, well, not 80, everything, but let, let's call it 80% of what I needed was in that book. <laughs> Literally right, right there, like it was within an hour I had the answer. Um, and I drove to uh, Chicago and I spent the entire weekend working on, you know, drawing out how this program should work. And my girlfriend, she was ready to kill me. <laughs> she was I was going to ask. I was going to say, did, did you end up breaking up then? Because it sounds like she was busy. <laughs> she, she, was, she was not happy. <laughs> she was not happy that I was, I was doing that. But I went back to uh, Cleveland, and I show my boss my work I'd done over the weekend. And he looks at it, and he goes, why do you write websites? Or why do you write uh, flowcharts so weird? And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. You realize that this is like what we need. What we talked on Friday, I have the answer in front of you. And he goes, okay, I'll give you two weeks, you know, make this work. And so in two weeks, we uh, made it work. And I had the, the CTO of Progressive came over to me. So the head technology guy came over to me. He put his arm around me, smiled, and he goes, John, it's too bad you made this for us. This would have been a hell of a business for you. <laughs> because every, <laughs> every company has this problem. Uh, but some uh, silver lining didn't come out of it. Um, it was this following Saturday morning. I was supposed to fly to Chicago this time uh, because I didn't have time to drive. And I get a call at like 530 in the morning. And I, I just thought it was weird. And, it was, and I, I answered the phone and it's like, hey, John, this is Pete. And I know a couple of Pete's. So I'm like, Pete who? <laughs> and he goes, Peter Lewis. And I'm like, it's 530 in the morning on a Saturday and the billionaire is calling me. Like, what did I do? <laughs> and the guy goes, he goes, do you like basketball? And I thought, I thought he wanted to play basketball with me. So I was like, well, uh, I'm not very good. And he goes, no, he goes, I got, 
I got tickets for the Cavs 76ers game tonight. How many do you want? And so I said, two. And uh, so he's like, okay, come by my house and pick them up. So I'm going to the billionaire's house to pick up the basketball team. <laughs> I, I call my girlfriend and I'm like, hey, uh, you need to come to Cleveland this weekend. She's like, I'm not coming to Cleveland. You come to Chicago. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I bought the airline tickets. You got to go to Cleveland. She's like, I'm not coming to Cleveland. You're going to Chicago. I'm like, trust me, this one weekend, come to Cleveland. So, so she, she came to Cleveland. I picked her up from the airport. We went to the billionaire's house, picked up the tickets. And I, we had courtside seats for a Cavs 76ers game right under the basket, um, which was pretty incredible life experience. And it was one of the things that I had on my bucket list that I was able to check off. And, it, you know, Matthew, it's one of those things, like, it would have been so easy for me to just accept the no, right? I could have just accepted, accepted the no then, rather than try to come up with a solution. Um, when I was trying to come up with a solution, like, fortunately, I had this curiosity that allowed me to find the answer. Um, you know, so it's, I think it's really important for people to not just accept no. Sometimes you're going to run into a no, and that no is just, it's just a redirection. It's, you know, it's like, okay. It's not this path, but it's slightly over here. I remember I wrote down, I literally wrote down, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to wake up in Paris uh, when the French version of my book was published. And I hadn't written a book, Matthew. <laughs> I wrote that down, I hadn't written a book. And, but then it was like two weeks later, I was asked, hey, John, do you want to go to Italy and work for five months? And I'm like, well, Italy's not Paris, but it's close enough. <laughs> like, I'll do that. And so I ended up having that opportunity. Um, and I think that that's, you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, people just don't dream big enough. Uh if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with Ted Turner, Ted, yeah. yeah, Ted Turner's largest land, one of the largest landowners, I think Bill Gates may have surpassed him at this point, in the United States, right? He's bringing back Buffalo, he's doing all this stuff. Ted Turner's dad had a billboard company that he gave Ted. Uh, I think it was worth about a million dollars when he died. And on his deathbed, his father told Ted, uh, his biggest regret was that he didn't dream big enough. So Ted lives behind this mantra of like, I'm never not going to dream big enough. Yeah. He was the, he was the first person to commit to donating a billion dollars in his lifetime. Huh? And he did it. He gave away a billion dollars in his lifetime. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. So one thing for listeners that we're going to do today is typically we have at the end of every podcast a golden nugget well as we're digging into leadership here we're going to have a lot of nuggets we've already had some and what we're going to really focus on is tragedy and triumph finding your passion and personal growth and then how can we personally grow as individuals but then support others and kind of give back what we've learned to those that we are we are leading. So I'd like to start by talking about some tragedy. I know 
we're going to go back to your childhood here. And you had talked about a job you had as a, as a teenager. And this one, it's just like, oh, my goodness. It's, it's a good one. You got to talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, growing up around a family that does a lot of stuff, I was always, you know, lending a hand, remodeling houses or, you know, uh, wheelbarrows of cement, like all kinds of stuff. Um, but my like, first official job was working at the sewage treatment plant. And I think we may have violated some labor laws with this job because I was 13 years old at the time, but my mom had gotten me this job. Um, and later I think it, I think it was part of her diabolical plan to motivate me. So she got me this job working in the sewage treatment plant and they had this notion, people were complaining about the smell from the sewage, probably like they complain about the, the smell from the hog container containment. So my uh -huh. I, growing up, my, my dad would always say, John, you smell that? That's the smell of money. I think every kid in Iowa has heard that. Uh, but there was the people were complaining. Sioux City has often had the nickname of Sewer City, so people were complaining. And they wanted to do something about it, so they planted 2,000 pine trees with the idea they were making a giant car freshener, right? So like, they had 2,000 pine trees that would cover the smell. So they planted these trees... And then they hired this guy to disc the field. Now, he was a union guy. He disced the field, and he buried all 2,000 trees. So they hired me, the naive 13-year-old kid, to crawl along in the sewage treatment plant on his hands and knees and dig up the 2,000 pine trees that were buried. So I did that. It was July. It was hot. When it rained, I was in the mud. And I was like a little puppy dog digging up these trees. I was so proud. I had saved 1,800 of these trees, right? And so I thought, okay, well, I made my money for the summer. I can go back to being a kid. No. <laughs> they had the same guy spray herbicide on the field, and he sprayed the trees and not the weeds, and he killed all of my trees but 200 of them. So now they hired me to dig 200 holes, right? So I had to dig 200 holes and then dig up 200 trees and replant the trees around this plant. Um, and then they had the guy mow the lawn. <laughs> and he mowed over most of my trees. So, so I was like, for the love of God, man, those are my trees. I bled for those trees. Um, but you know, <laughs> I had no power in the circumstance. Uh, one of the things you're going to learn in life is that, you know, people are going to mow over your trees. Uh, yeah, I thought that, uh, if I got an education that I would be able to like rise above people mowing over my trees, but no, like people still can mow over your trees. So just be aware that that's going to happen. And, you know, you can, you can do the best you can do and, Sometimes things are going to happen that you just have to try to learn the lesson from and, and become more motivated that you can rise above it, right? And so because of that, I have never had a working day in my life where I ever really felt like I really worked uh, because I never had to crawl in 
around in the mud. You know? So it's, it's not that bad. When other people are complaining, I'm like, you know, this could be a lot worse. You know, I have a guy I'm helping, an entrepreneur I'm helping. I gave him 700 people for him to contact. And I'm like, I'm begging him. I'm like, dude, you got to send an email. And I, I, I'm just now getting through to him. He's finally doing it and he's seen successes. But, you know, I just blow right past that because I'm like, you know, what's sending an email? It's not crawling in the mud. Like, why not? Like, I have no problem doing it. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, they're, they get real nervous about reaching out to others. And you just got to be genuine, right? Like, 100%. I mean, here's the thing. And this, I, I really believe that we are taught incorrectly, particularly in the Midwest, to think that networking and sales is a bad thing. Um, nothing really happens until somebody sells something to somebody else. So you can't, like, sales is one of those areas where, you know, you don't have to have a fancy education. You don't have to have um, a lot of things other than the willingness to keep asking. And when you're asking, I always think of it from the standpoint of, you know, I'm, I'm offering you the opportunity to help you. If you, if it's not the right time, I, that's, that's okay. I understand, but I want to help you. And, you know, even if I, you know, I, this happened to me this morning, I had somebody that came to me They they, they said, I want to, I want to be one of your masterminds. I'm ready to sign up for your mastermind. Can you do this, this, and this for me? I did this, this, and this for them. Um, and I heard back from them and they're like, well, I'm not going to do the mastermind. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I still gave them like two more things to leave it in a positive light. Right. So yes, I don't, you don't want to give to the point where other people are taking advantage of you, but you all, like, I always try to come from the standpoint of, I always want a positive balance sheet with everybody that I interact with. Right. So, yeah. You know, years ago when we met, when you were first talking about swine tech, I remember giving you some advice back then. And, and uh, I think at one point I connected you to a, a hog pen inspector or somebody like that. Like through one of my friends, I was able to connect you to some people that could connect to help you a little bit with, with reach, like reaching out to the, to, um, the swine industry beyond people you already knew. Um, uh-huh. And, it, you know, that's just essential for everybody you you don't really have a business until you're reaching people that you don't know and convincing them to try your product or service right absolutely and i have found that those people often become my friends like i I was just um i was just talking to a guy that i met through literally a cold email i sent um, I sent this guy a cold email 10 years ago because I was coaching soccer to a group of boys and I wanted them to have an idea that it wasn't just, you don't want to just be limited by one thing. You don't want to just be a good soccer player. You also want to be a good student. If you, if your idea is that you're going to use soccer somehow in your life, you know, either to become a professional soccer player, you know, all of the best schools to get recruited for that are really top schools. So you have to have good grades or some, you think somebody's going to give you a scholarship. You got to show them work ethic. Right. 
And so I got this professional soccer player to talk to my boys. He was, he was a professional soccer player and the former head of licensing for GI Joe. Oh, wow. So like one of the coolest persons for a 15 to 17 year old kid to hear from. So I convinced that guy to talk to my kids, totally cold outreach. (laughs) It just totally reached out in my cold. We've become friends. We're still friends to this day. Um, and, you know, he, he ended up sending me a few years later, I did a favor for him and he sent me $3,000 worth of soccer balls to give to my boys, um, which, you know, what can be cooler than to give a kid $150 soccer ball? Um, Absolutely. So, I didn't even know soccer balls cost $150. Uh, if you're getting them directly from Major League Soccer. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, wow. Yeah. So that was that was really cool. And it just showed that, you know, you can reach out, to, like going back to Dr. J, you can reach out to anybody. It's been one of the the most powerful superpowers I've had in my career is I just am not afraid to reach out to people and ask for help or ask uh, to help them. So you also had a story that you talked about with a very special person in your life that went through some some tough times. Can you talk about yeah. that briefly? Yeah, absolutely. So there was somebody I was really close to growing up. Um, and he had uh, worked in the uranium mines. So he had worked in the uranium mines when I was a kid. And he, uh, I remember he bought me a, my first BMX bike, right? So the first bicycle I had, uh, he had bought me because he was making so much money in the uranium mines. And he came back to Iowa and, you know, they're just, there wasn't the same kind of money in Iowa that there is in the uranium mines. I mean, maybe hog containments pay well, but they don't pay uranium mine money. <laughs> so, so he um, he was looking for something to do that would be more attractive. And he uh, found a guy that let him buy a cleaning company through an earnout. He worked with this guy um, on top of his regular job and, and he would put in the hours and, and eventually was able to buy the company that he was working for. Uh, and this became just a tremendous opportunity for my brother. My brother is a, um, and I went ahead and said who it was, but, uh, <laughs> he, he's a very, um, he's a very, uh, generous and, and, and relatable guy. And he, um, he had some hard times because uh, his wife was supposed to be doing the accounting for the business and she wasn't paying the taxes. Um, and so uh, we ended up spending years. My father and I were, would work for him in the mornings before I went to school, uh, helping my brother. And uh, he ended up finding an opportunity coming out of this, working for uh, an owner operator. So there's a lot of, farmers that you know there's probably a lot of farmers on this podcast who are owner operators um because that's that's pretty common these days um so my brother went to work for an owner a guy was just like one step above an owner operator i think at the time they had four trucks they had four trucks and no place to work on them in the winter so some of you guys can probably relate to this so he was working on these trucks uh out of the cold and um you know he stayed with it and uh, one of the things that was really cool was this this entrepreneur that was the owner operator uh, really looked after my brother. He he thought of him like a son, and he looked after him. And 
uh, when he needed something, you know, he would make sure that he could help him do that. Um, and, you know, today they're one of the largest trucking companies in, in the Midwest, maybe in the entire United States. And they move, they move a lot of, a lot of Tyson's, um, products all over the country. Uh, and, you know, it started out as just a real small operation, my brother and, and this guy and three other truck drivers. Um, he just kept moving forward. Just kept moving forward. He's, you know, my brother's in his sixties now and he still, still does the hardest jobs in the shop. So he never, he always told me, I never ask people to do things I wouldn't do. So if I'm going to lead, I want to lead by example. And, uh, that's what he does. And, you know, it really, uh, it gave him a new, it gave him a new lease on life. You know, he had, he had, um, really built something and you know unfortunately it goes back to that tree story right people can always move down your trees uh but you can come back from it and and build something better so when i talk to some people i'll hear a statement like another dollar or another day another dollar and it really speaks to me as i'm working but i really don't have a passion for what i'm doing or i haven't found my passion how do you inspire others to find a passion and just go for it. To me, that sounds like hell, you know, like another day, another dollar. If I, if that's, you know, I, I do a lot of volunteer work in schools. I've done that for like 15 years. And I hear a lot of teachers complaining and saying, you know, I can't wait to retire. And I'm thinking I'm here working for free. <laughs> like, like, I don't understand this thinking. Um, for me, I I look for problems that I'm really interested in, right? So, uh, and the, the one of the challenges that I have is that I see problems every single day. So, one of my friends taught me to do this, and I, and I encourage every there's there's a couple of things I would I want to encourage people to do, but one of them is when you walk into any kind of business. Always think about if you were the person that was running that business, how would you make it better? Huh. And if you're doing that all the time, your, your, your brain is working on problem solving. It used to drive my, my um, ex-wife crazy because I would, <laughs> we would be in a, we would be in a, a fancy restaurant in New York city and I would I would have the waitress bring over the owner and I would be given the owner suggestions and it would drive her crazy. She's like, John, this guy's running, you know, this fancy restaurant in New York city. And you're telling him how he should run his business, <laughs> which, which, which I realize could be a little annoying. I realize there's some, annoying, but usually they're quite happy about my suggestions. Yeah, my, so, my fiance is the same way. I'll sit there and I'll, I'll talk about all the things that I see that are, wrong or could be better she's like why are you always so critical i'm not being critical i'm being i'm excited about finding an issue how how do we make things better and uh it's just there's some self-management there to make sure it's not misconstrued as critical (laughs) yeah exactly as you get older you start to realize that you can you know sometimes you don't share every idea that you have (laughs) it's not always appropriate to share every idea you have um but if you're if you always have that mindset, right? If you always have the mindset of 
I'll, I'll give you a great example. One of my one of my students that I mentored, um, he was sitting in his hot tub one day, and it was early in the morning. He's sitting in his hot tub. It's like kind of a little bit cold out, and he's thinking, "I gotta check my electric fence." Like, wouldn't it be great if I could just stay in this hot tub? Like, why don't I go out and check the goddamn fence? <laughs> you know, because the you guys all know that basically the grass is always greener on the other side is a true thing, right? Like, if there's not electricity oh, yeah. going across that fence, those cows are gonna go for the grass. <laughs> so he uh, he thinks, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just look and know it was hot? Like, why don't I have to? Why don't I have to? Because you know, most farmers, what they do is they drive around and they touch the fence and see if sparks come off it. Um, and you do that wrong, you end up on your ass, right? So, so he invented this little device that just sits on that fence and flashes. And all you have to do is, you know, five in the morning, get up, look out the window. Yep, fence is hot. Go back to bed. You know, like get in your truck, you know, look out the window of your truck. Yep, it's flashing. Fence is hot, you know. Like it's so much better than so what people. Much better. Yeah, people. You know, people did the other way for, I don't know, 150, 200 years. Now, just this one guy, one day, and he didn't want to get out of his hot tub, and he just thought, "How can I? How can we do this better?" So, for um, individual, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say those opportunities are everywhere, man. Like they're, they're just everywhere. everywhere. They're everywhere. One day, I just asked, like what if a trash can could talk? I swear to God. What? <laughs> like I just asked the question. I actually had a group of students, right, that we, we, I was taken to a competition. And I had them do this test case to pick the team, right? I wanted to winnow the team down from eight to six. So I had them do like a test project. And my test project was really cool. So they all did it. They were happy to do it. And then I found out what the actual project was. And the actual project was doing market entry for a trash can company. And as the trash can company was describing their business, they were talking about like saving two cents here, saving five cents there. They were, it was all about operational efficiency and driving up the cost of making a plastic container that's at this point pretty mature, right? Like those things have not really changed very much somebody could think about a way to change them that, you know, that might, that could be exciting. Uh, the way that I thought about changing them is what if they could talk? Like what if I could add communication technology on top of a trash can so that that thing could send me information about what's inside it. Right. And that's how I got the idea for my business. So I'm like, what if huh. trash cans could talk? <laughs> and I'm like, what would they say? I realize that sounds kind of philosophical. <laughs> but I'm like, what I would stink. You, what would I want to know? I stink. I stink. Like in some instances you would want to know that, right? So like in a public a public space, you would want to know that the trash can stinks, right? Yeah. Um so for me I thought, well, who has the most expensive trash in the world? Because I always want to work for the people who can pay me the most money. <laughs> Personally. Like I try to choose yeah the people who will give me the most money for what I do. So I'm like, who has the most expensive trash in the world? And that's how I ended up focusing in on uh, protecting people against identity theft. Cause I'm like, think about those canisters and all of those offices. I want to know if somebody breaks into one of those. Um, and if they do, then we can catch them. 
because you can have all these fancy cameras, but if you don't know a crime happened, then, you know, they're worthless, right? So a whole bunch of fancy cameras are, are fine, but if you don't know that somebody broke into the bin, you don't know that it happened. But if I can tell you exactly on this time, at this date, this uh, canister was broken into at this location, now your fancy cameras matter, right? Now we can catch yeah. them, right? Um, and it's it's the same thing with you. When I remember when we were talking about this, you're like, John, like, we could feed so many more people in the world if these mother cow, if these mother pigs would not lay on their piglets. <laughs> like, yeah. when, you know, it's just it, if we could just keep them from laying on their own children. We could, you know, like, just think about the bacon, man. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got me really excited. I was like, I bet that would be really cool. <laughs> and here you are. You made it. You made you made the device. And so you're you're doing it. You're making it a reality. It's a you are an inspirational story, my friend. I appreciate that. I really do. And uh, as we kind of segue from inspiring others or finding your passion for those that have now found that problem getting started can sometimes seem so hard what what advice would you have for others that have found a problem and really want to go solve it yeah i love this because uh you know I think the most important thing is to realize that you are not inventing gravity. Like whatever business you're doing, somebody has done something like this, right? It's not like maybe if you're Elon Musk, you're kind of, you know, reaching the edge. <laughs> but even, even in that case, you know, there are car companies like, like, you know, Mr. Honda existed before Elon did. You know, there are people that like that have there are people that have already paved the way. So don't be afraid to uh, to reach out to them. They can significantly accelerate uh, your what you're trying to do. Um, it's very important. This is a difference between an employee and an entrepreneur. You can spot it instantly. An entrepreneur who's a true entrepreneur, they, they know that action is where money is made. Like you have to take action. There has to be a certain amount of urgency in what you're doing. If you want to make something more than a hobby, you have to, you have to approach it like you're in a jungle and you're foresting for food and there's some food over there and you're going to get it before, you know, that lion or tiger or bear gets there, right? Like you, yeah. you need to move um, because, you know, market opportunities don't last forever. Um, and so you need to, if you're thinking about it, there's somebody else that's in, been inspired to think about it um, and you've got to take action. Um, the other thing is that you always have to remember that, you know, your customer is the one that puts food on your family's table. So you got to take care of them. Uh, it's so much easier. Like one of the easiest ways to make money 
is to sell to people you already sell to. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, to get somebody to buy from you, and this is true for every single business on the planet, you have to take them down three levels, right? Visibility, they have to know you exist to buy from you. Credibility, you have to be credible at what you do before somebody's going to give you any money for that thing. And then ultimately, nobody's going to give you money unless they feel like, you know, they're certain that if they give you cash, they're going to get more in return than you're, than you're asking. That's just, that's the law of commerce, right? Um, if you've already taken somebody down those three levels and they trust you to buy something already from you, if you want to grow quickly after that, then you want to leverage that trust. And there's a couple of ways you can leverage that trust. One is you can make it attractive for them to refer other people to you because typically your customers know other people that would be customers for you, right? The second piece is you can sell some other thing along that chain of activity. So, you know, if they're buying this from you, maybe there's another thing that would be related that they need. And so, so you know, in a, in a lot of ways, like as an industry in the pork industry, just pork in itself is relevant for this. Yeah, la- I mean, la- if, if you're already producing it and you've already had a customer and you're already they're already buying one type of product, well, instead of trying to spend a whole bunch of money on acquiring a brand new segment of customers, how can you expand the the, the demand or the consumption within your existing customer base, your existing audience? One hundred percent. Now, there's a, there's a third thing, and if you're in business, you know this to be true. Um, most of your profit is coming from just a subset of your customers. This is true across the board. They call it the 80-20 rule. Um, they, you, you've heard, probably heard it in a, in a lot of different contexts. But the first time that I heard it was 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your customers. And if you go and you look at the data, because I've looked at the, I've worked with over a thousand different businesses, and it's true. It's you know sometimes it's ninety ten, sometimes it's eighty five fifteen, whatever. But it's almost always the case that there's a certain group of customers that are generating the most profit for you. Um, great example of this is my my student Josh's business. When we first started working on Josh's business. We thought the customers that were going to be the most profitable for him would be people that were doing triathlons or, you know, these weekend warrior kind of people, right? Um, but it turned out that not, that wasn't the case. That his eighty twenty was people who had been in a car accident or people who were suffering from PSTD or something like that, where pain was a consistent companion to this person, and his services were the things that gave them some kind of relief right? Those people bought every week. The other ones maybe bought once a month. So when you could, when you could find that, right? When you find that, you're like, oh, hell yeah, I know who to go after. (laughs) Like when you know that, when you know that for your business, you know who to go after. So take a look at your sales. Where, like, what kind of organization are you making the most profit from? Not revenue, profit. Because sometimes a company might give you a lot in revenue, but they're such a customer service burden that it's not worth it. And then there's other times when, you know, 
you can just like they just I, i'll give you a, a perfect example of this um i can talk about this because it's it was 25 years ago now but 25 years ago i was working for um, a plastic packaging company right and these guys made packages for everybody like they made cosmetics packages and they made medical packages and they made cereal liners for your Kellogg cereal in the morning and all this stuff. Right. And they had, um, that was 5,400 different products. And I had to build a mathematical model that measured the profitability of all 5,400 different products. And of course I did this, but midway through this, I'm like, why the hell do they have 5,400 different products? <laughs> like, this, is, this is insane. Um, and what had happened, uh, and this is often the case, uh, you'll see that somebody's strengths or an organization's strengths are a mirror of their weakness. So the, the CEO of this company had been in research and development. So he had, you know, he really believed in the power of creating a new product. Um, and when the company faced some competitive threat, rather than um, cutting research and development, he cut uh, customer care. So huh. what does a customer, what does a research and development guy do when he sees a problem? He invents something. Now you and I are inventors, so we kind of appreciate that. Like we like that, <laughs> but sometimes you don't need to invent a solution. You just need to adjust the machines. So they, they were, the machines just weren't adjusted. So they were inventing products to run on machines based on random settings of the machines rather than just adjusting the settings of the machines. Wow. Yeah. And so what happens every time you introduce a new product in a manufacturing situation, you cause changeovers. And so every time there's a line changeover, it's waste, right? And every time there's a line changeover, there's interrupt. So it was adding, it added all of these additional costs to, to their manufacturing. And obviously it didn't really have true benefits. So as I was looking at this, um, these guys had essentially one product that supported the entire business. And they weren't, they didn't understand that at the time. So at that time, they were the leading maker of portion packs in the world. So they had McDonald's and they had Heinz ketchup. And basically they had a monopoly on those little portion packs that you get from the fast food shop. They made pretty much all of them in the world. And that one product was so profitable because it would run on uh, these machines constantly day and night, they couldn't make, they couldn't make enough of it, uh, to match the demand. Um, and they had greater scale than anybody else in the market. So they had the lowest cost. So they had the largest profit margin. Um, since then you've seen that like fast food shops have gone to different ways to dispense condiments. Um, and I'm sure that that market's changed radically from when I studied it 25 oh, yeah. years ago, but essentially what we were able to do that totally turned around this company was we went back to the core. What's the, what are the problems we're solving? And what if it, this was simple? This is, this is one of the thing, things that Tim Ferriss says, and I 100% agree with Tim. Tim says, 
step back for a minute and ask yourself, what if this was simple and do that for 48 hours? I can't tell you how many people that I've met that overcomplicate things and create friction uh, in them actually achieving something. Uh, largely, I think that friction is, is a function of fear. And so because they're afraid, they create a whole bunch of other things that cause them not to be successful. I'll give you the example. Let me give you the example of the 700 guy, right? So I give this guy 700 influencers on Instagram that represent millions of potential customers to his business. And I give him exactly what to, oh, so first I give him 700 and nothing happens. And I'm like, okay, there's another barrier I have to overcome. So I wrote the approach email for him together. We did this for two hours. We wrote the approach email. Still nothing happens. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it's, you know, this is an e-commerce site. It's, it's, uh, you know, yeah, he could reach millions of potential customers before Christmas. Like I'm salivating here on the opportunity that exists and we're getting no action. And I sat back and I, and I, I, I asked him about it and he's like, well, I don't have time. I'm like, okay, well, what have you been doing? What have you been doing with your time? Like, let's step back and see what, what have you been doing with your time? And he said, well, I had to go through all of the, influencers and I had to categorize them <laughs> and I'm like dude just think about this for a second it's like you walked up to the door of a potential customer but rather than ringing the doorbell you wrote down whether the house was green or blue or gray Like, it makes no sense. Ring the doorbell. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I'll actually post, uh, I'll create these little triggers, um, and I will, like, remind the people, ring the doorbell. Like, you should actually, ask, like, don't make it overcomplicated. It doesn't really matter. Um, the categories don't really matter. Just ask. If, particularly if you're not going to ask, like, if you're going to categorize and not ask, there may be in certain instances a reason to categorize, but in this case, it was just like walking up to the door, <laughs> up to the door, house is green, leaving. It, it, yeah. So uh, I would encourage people to go back to that, that thought process of how can this just be simple? You know? Um, don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. People will spend, you know, I'll suggest to people to make something like this, this conversation we're having today, or, or maybe some kind of a knowledge piece as a way to open the door, right? So you probably did this in the beginning where you shared some, some uh, practical things with your farmers to help get in the door and have a conversation with them, right? You're kind of buying their time with advice. Um, and so people will spend like eight months doing this. And I'm like, why <laughs> or or you know they'll spend uh, you know days studying somebody before they'll send them their uh, initial approach email like it's it's fine to study somebody once you've got a meeting with them but let's not spend a whole bunch of time 
in friction, let's find a way to go as efficiently as possible, identify the true opportunities, and then dive in and make sure that you're ready to win. Well, I think that's a really good way to kind of wrap it up. That's, that is, that is a great call to action. And I guess I'd ask if you, if you have a closing statement, a closing word of wisdom, a closing golden nugget that, that you have learned through all the years. You know, my life is testament that if you believe in yourself, you can do absolutely anything. So if you have this vision that you want um, a life that's different than the life that you have, you have the power to build that life. It, it, you know, there may be times when it's going to suck, but just keep persevering through it. And on the other side is what you, what you've been working for. Don't give up. I appreciate you sharing that. And I thank you for being a guest on the popular pig podcast. I'm sure all of our listeners are, we're thrilled to have a kind of a change up and, to bring somebody in that can share real life experiences and words of wisdom towards chasing your goals, chasing your dreams, chasing your passion. So I really thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Matthew. And guys, um, you know, I, whenever I'm driving down the road, I always think, you smell that? That's the smell of money. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.